This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm joined by one of the most outstanding musical theater talents in the country, and that is award-winning musical theater star Barbara Barsky. I've known Barbara since 1991 when she starred in a production of Closer Than Ever with her husband, Merrick Norman, and it was produced by Jeffrey Latimer, and I covered it for the magazine I worked for at the time. And believe it or not, Barbara, I have the article you were in and that issue right over here. And I also interviewed Barbara and Merrick for my television show in the spotlight, which was a showcase for Canada's performing artists. And here we are. We have been trying to arrange this interview for some time. And I'm so delighted to have Barbara here today to talk about her illustrious career, her longtime marriage and partnership with acclaimed Canadian composer Merrick Norman, and her inspirational new show, Dancer, which is currently running at the Toronto Fringe Festival. In preparation for this interview, I consulted with the uber-talented theatre critic, esteemed director, actor and lyricist Richard Azunian for some insight and research along with the great folks at the Toronto Metro Reference Library and beyond. So before we meet her, just let me tell you a little bit more about Barbara Barsky. Barbara, as mentioned, is an acclaimed award-winning actress. Some of her credits include Bertha in Boeing Boeing at the Persephone Theatre, Madame Thénardier in Les Mis, Miss Andrew and Mary Poppins, for which she received a SAT Award nomination, Mama Rose in Gypsy, that's gonna, a big one I want to talk about, the Arts Club in Vancouver, Golda in that famous show in Susan Shulman's Fiddler on the Roof, at the Stratford Festival, Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard, live and Charlotte in Larry's Party, Canadian Stage, NAC, MTC, and Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. Barbara's been nominated, I want you all to get this number, for seven Dora Mavermore Awards for Closer Than Ever, the show we first talked about, Forbidden Broadway, Chutzpah A Go-Go, Snappy Tales, Assassins, and A New Brain, the musical stage company. She also co-produced with her husband, Merrick Norman, the original Canadian production of Assassins, which garnered five Dora Awards, including Best Production. What a lot of people don't realize, I didn't even really know this actually, is that Barbara was also a member of the legendary Second City Company with Martin Short and Catherine O'Hara, and she was also the co-founder of Reprise Concerts, Great musicals in concert. She has appeared in multiple TV shows, culminating in an Actor Award nomination for her work in Clowns, plus a Tyrone Guthrie Award. Barbara, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. What a delight to have you here. Oh, so nice to see you at long last, huh? (laughs) I know. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. Thanks to technology and patience, we we made it happen. And I'm so grateful to have you here. As I mentioned off the top, Barbara, we first met over 30 years ago when you starred in the musical Closer Than Ever 
which you did with Merrick Norman. And you were on my television show in the spotlight a couple of times and in the magazine. I was obsessed with that show. (laughs) What are your memories of doing that musical closer than ever? Well, it began with Merrick, my husband. He went to New York. I was not with him. And he wandered downtown to the village and happened to see this particular show closer than ever came home back to Toronto, and we had just moved back to Toronto from 10 years in New York. And he said, we have to do this show. We contacted another producer who said, I think Jeffrey Latimer has the rights to that particular show. So we got him on the phone. He was in the middle of a show. He spoke to us at intermission and said, who are you people and why are you calling me? I'm on stage. (laughs) Anyway, we said... We've heard you have the rights to Closer Than Ever. We know that we can help get this show on. And subsequently, we did a lot of sort of house concerts to raise funds. Jeffrey managed to get it up and on. And it was the Dora Award winner for Best Production that year. And uh, it was probably, you know, I often say to when I'm teaching, I often say, you know, if you can count on one hand the really fabulous productions that you've been involved with. You've had a pretty lucky career because we all work as much as we can. But when something is really special, ding, the little light goes off. Closer Than Ever was one of those shows for Merrick and I. We hadn't worked together in quite a long time. Our, Our paths kind of diverged a little bit. He concentrated more on his composing, et cetera, and was a very well-known jingle writer in New York. So for us to be on a stage together, sometimes portraying partners, sometimes not, it was thrilling. And the music always, you know, sometimes I'll go on YouTube and I'll listen to some of the other original cast members from New York. And it it sends me every time. (laughs) I just love doing it. I think I saw that show, Barbara, maybe four or five <laughs> times. I couldn't get, I kept saying, well, I have a reason. I'm doing it for the magazine. I'm doing this right. shit at the TV. <laughs> and it was phenomenal. It, and as as you mentioned, it won the Dora Award for Best Musical in 1991. And, yeah. uh, and it was just incredible. When I saw you, Barbara, for the first time, and I think this is why I've always wanted to have you on this show, I thought this actor really has it all. Your voice, mm-hmm. which is legendary. She is, you'll, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. You'll mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about. Your acting, your command of the stage, the way you fill the stage. And that's actually a quote from Richard Azunian with your presence. You have it all, all the things. And I'm wondering if you have a memory that you could share with us of the first time you stepped on stage. And I believe that must have been in Winnipeg, which is, I believe, where you were yes, born. That's what, right. My hometown. Yes. Mm-hmm. What are your memories of that first time? If you can take us all the way back to being okay. a little girl and being on stage for the girl. first time. Yes. Well, I'm going to take you a slightly, a little step forward to little, little girl, because I did start as a bunhead. You know, I started <laughs> my, uh, my career dancing and I worked with a, a modern dance company in Winnipeg called Winnipeg Contemporary Dancers, one of the first in Canada. But I would say that the first time it really locked in for me, there was an audition call for Rainbow Stage, which was the big outdoor theater in Winnipeg. And I wanted to audition very much. And I was 13 plus at the time, wow. just. And I called the producer whose name was Michael McCallany. He was an American producer. He was producing shows at Rainbow at the time. 
I called him every single day until he let me audition. I wish I still had that kind of chutzpah. <laughs> anyway, finally, he let me come in. I did a big dance audition because that was really my area of expertise at the time. They asked me if I could sing. And true, 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 I sang Happy Birthday. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and they hired me and I did four shows back to back with some really amazing Americans, generally speaking, because at that time they were bringing in Americans. And I did Can Can, if you can believe it, with the original Broadway star whose name was Lilo. And I won't say exactly what she said to me, but she had been doing it for a very long time. And I said, so Miss Lilo, what is it like to do a show over and over again? And she said, it's the same damn blank over and over again. I went, ah, okay. Well, that's an interesting perspective. And here I was just over 13 years old. Oh, no. ah, okay. <laughs> so that was, sort of, that was sort of the first time that was when I got my union card. So that's what I sort of consider the first time that I made that commitment to the theater. Wow. And I know you also made your professional debut at the Charlottetown Festival First in the ensemble and then as Josie that's Pye. Right. And I, I think that was around 1971, 72 that you played Josie Pye. That's was, right. Was that a trip to be in Anne of Green Gables, the iconic musical, as a major lead? I mean, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, the first time I ever saw, so again, in Winnipeg, when I was a kid, there was the word went out to all the dance schools that Alan Lund was in town at the Playhouse Theater auditioning dancers. So my other friend Barbara and I snuck in to this audition. We didn't get the opportunity to audition at that point. We were way too young. But I remember seeing them dancing, doing the egg and spoon. And one of the dancers was wearing red leather shoes. Oh my oh. gosh, I've never <laughs> seen anything more exciting. And then a number of years later, obviously, I was called in to audition and I, somebody had dropped out. So the first year I went and I was just, you know, part of the chorus. And then the next year they raised me up to Josie Pye. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but many, 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 many years later, <laughs> I played Marilla as well. Oh, so I wow. went. So as I always say to kids, you know, you stay in the business long enough, you start as Josie Pye, and then you end up as Marilla. So. <laughs> wow. <Isn't laughs> and just working for Alan Lund, you know, he was pretty legendary, wonderful choreographer, really a fine, fine director. And the great thing about Charlottetown was that they really promoted the Canadian musicals. So we did Canadian musicals, including Fafale, which we ultimately did with for Norman Campbell on the CBC, too. So. Isn't yep. that incredible? I oh, I just I, all of this is, of course, laying all the, the 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 foundation for you know this musical theater dynamo that you are. And okay, as mentioned off the top, I had a delightful conversation with renowned and highly respected theater critic, talented director, writer, actor, lyricist, and journalist Richard Azunian, who I know you know very well. He has directed yes. you. He has written yes. countless reviews about you. So when I was putting this interview together, I knew I had to speak to him because. I would see a review from The Globe written by Richard Azunian, a, a piece of theatre criticism in the Toronto Star written by Richard. And then I found your song, your beautiful song you sang that he co-wrote with your husband, Marek Norman, called right. Little Lost Lives from Larry's Party. And right. I just hear that song and I weep. Honestly, I listened to it many times before I'm going to share it with our listeners today. And he actually said when I interviewed him about this interview that he was so grateful that there's a recording of this song because right. that song is probably one of the best musical theater songs that's ever been written for an actor. Aww. 
What was it like for you to sing that song? And can you set it up for us so that we can share it with our audience? Sure. So this was a good news, bad news situation. I had done a couple of workshops of Larry's Party, which is based on the Carol Shields novel. And I knew that the, uh, you know, the two of them had been working on it and Can Stage picked it up and the NAC picked it up and MTC, my hometown in Manitoba, they picked it up. And then they hired the legendary director, Mr. Robin Phillips. And Mayor came home one day and he said, good news, we have a tour and a production of Larry's Party. Now, take into consideration, I had done many workshops of this particular show. Bad news is you have to audition. So it was like, oh, no, because Robin Phillips <laughs> didn't know me. That's just the way it is. Right. So Mayor kind of warned me that Robin would ask me some particular questions because he'd sat in on some of the auditions and he said, be careful, don't say this, say this, don't say that. I was really primed and prepped by my darling husband. So I go <laughs> into the audition and I, Merrick is at the piano, which is always a bonus for me. I have to admit, I'm extremely lucky. He's very often plays for me in my auditions. We sat down and we did the number and Robin was very gracious and he thanked me and I left the room and went home. And Merrick came home and said, oh no, it was Marty Bragg called me on the phone and said, well, I have good news. You got the part. I was absolutely thrilled. When Merrick came home, I said, so I guess I got the part. He said, yeah, he really liked you. You reminded him of his mother. Good God. <laughs> yes, oh, no. yes. For some reason, I reminded him of his mother. And oh, from then on, he didn't call me by his mother's name, but he called me by one of his favorite British actors. <laughs> I think her name was uh, Brenda DeBanzi or something. So he would, that's what he would call me, Brenda oh, DeBanzi. Anyway, when we got into the actual rehearsal process, it always took me two to three tries to get through it without weeping, as you know, and will you will play it for your audience. It's a very heartfelt tune. I really do believe it's one of Richard's and Merrick's most beautiful songs. And I, it was a pure, utter privilege to sing it every night. And of course, my co-star was Brent Carver, mm. whom I always love to mention. And mm. he would... In the production, he would lead me through this door and, and we were, it was like we had been walking in the rain together and he'd close the umbrella and he'd shake it out and then he'd lead me to my stool and then I would kind of mentally prepare to sing this quite heart, well, more than quite, very heartfelt song, which I would have to kind of jab my fingernails into my thumbs to not be overwhelmed by it but um so i did get to do it it is a really stunning song and again i'm just going to repeat a privilege to sing oh my goodness well i am so excited without further ado let's all have a listen to barbara barsky singing little lost lives I love my friends 
my God, Barbara, <laughs> that was so beautiful. It makes me cry every time. I can't yeah. listen to it without crying. And you'd think Aww. you get desensitized after the six yeah. or seven. <laughs> well, beautiful. I hear you. I, I remember Marty Meriden, who was the uh, artistic director at the NAC when we did it there. She would come down from her office to listen to it every night. So it does affect people. And that's why we're here. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll tell you when I spoke to Richard about it and he had said, and actually this, this part is not from him, but he, Richard did say that you protect the song that's been written. Not mm. only do you sing it unbelievably beautifully always, and you're the one that they go to when they have that big song that needs to be sung perfectly. That's the, <laughs> the savior of the show or the most important thing, but you sing it and you protect those lyrics and that music that's and that that's what's so delicious and so wonderful about what you do. And I thought that was beautiful. And another reviewer, John Kaplan, also reviewed the show and wrote, still a few of the songs, mostly those for the women in Larry's life, define characters sharply, including the musical number about his mother and those sung by his two wives and his lover, Barbara Barsky, splendidly playing against type splendidly <laughs> playing against type. What, what do you, what do you think he meant by that? And what does well, that mean for you? Well, I, I knew John quite well. And, um, I think John was used to seeing me do kind of sticky shows like forbidden Broadway, a little bit of second city, things that required, you know, and it's funny. I think that's one of the first really mature roles I did where I was not, I was playing my chronological age, basically. A, a woman who'd been married, lost her husband, was in search of possibly another relationship. And so I think maybe that's what John meant, that I was kind of honing in on a new path of what I was about to do. And, and I have explored that more and more, obviously, with age, as one does, you reinvent yourself. But I think, you know, when you think of me, Ruby and Dames at Sea, and, you know, maybe even a Cassie in a chorus line, which was slightly more mature, but just those kind of goofy parts. And even my dance teacher always thought I was too goofy to be a ballerina <laughs> anyway. So I, I think that might have been John's, John's kind of overview of what I had done over the years. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Richard Azunian also wrote in a review about a production you were in Elegy saying Barbara Barsky is superlative throughout, brings a whole life onto the stage in 14 Dwight Avenue, Natick, Massachusetts, as she recreates Finn's mother on her last drive through the town that she spent her life in. The detail, the depth of feeling, <laughs> the tasteful restraint that Barbara displays are all signs of a great artist. Oh, that's very lovely. Thanks. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> what are your memories of doing that musical, Elegies, which I remember seeing? So I, this right, is a right. trip down well, Maryland. There was a period there where Bill Finn and I were in lockstep, who was the composer of Elegies and also the composer of A New Brain. I loved his work because... I did a concert with him and I did sing a song for him particularly and sort of just blasted it straight to his face. And after I was finished, I said, I want to thank William Finn for writing musical roles for mature women. And that's how I feel about, about him. And um, the Natick Avenue, Dwight Avenue, we're sort of on a theme here. This woman goes out for her last car ride with her young son, and they know the inevitable is coming. And I believe that restraint would be the only way to kind of approach that 
that sort of, first of all, she was weakened. She had her little cancer cap on. They were driving for the last time. They're going through the neighborhood and they're recalling where he played on the grass or the friend came over. That's where they got a popsicle. So I didn't have to work too hard on that. I just had to listen to Bill Finn's point of view because I was basically playing his mom, which I've done twice now. (laughs) The first time I met Bill Flynn, again, it's really weird. He said to me, I think I know you. Have we met? I was like, no, Bill, we've never met William Finn. We have never (laughs) met. And I think it was because I must have reminded him of his mom. And because I had played his mom at least twice, that was a really, really special show. All the things that it dealt with including at the end, 9-11. We were able to recreate it 10 years later for the musical stage company with virtually the same cast, except for my young son, who, of course, had outgrown the part. But yeah, it was a privilege for me to do Bill Finn's music. I'm a big fan. Wow. And this, okay, this continues on. And I'm sort of following a little path, like a little trail, but there were so many pieces of theater criticism written beautifully by Richard Azunian about your career. And so I found another review that was right after Elegies that he wrote when he was a theater critic for the Toronto Star. He reviewed the, the play you just mentioned it, A New Brain. The headline for the article read, A New Brain Has Clever Cast, Dim Production. And in it, he wrote about your performance remarking that... And then, quote, and I quote, and then there's Barbara Barsky playing Gordon's mother. Elegies demonstrated she knows how to sing William Finn like no one else. But this show proves it further. Her haunting rhapsody about the men in her life, the music still plays on, is about as classy and as elegantly underplayed as a musical number gets. Perfection, he writes. (laughs) And when I asked him, I sort of urged him on to ask to say more about it. When I asked him about you in that production, he said that your song really stole the show. And he said that a great director and producer knows that if you have the best song in the show, you better give it to Barbara because she (laughs) will perfect it. And as I mentioned earlier, but she will also protect it. What are your Mm -hmm. memories, Barbara, from singing and being in that show, A New Brain? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Barbara Barsky and her life in the theater when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And just before the break, Barbara, I was asking you about your memories of being in the show, A New Brain. Well, A New Brain came along a couple of years after Elegies. Again, William Finn and his remarkable work. That was an interesting, well, it was kind of 
Bill Finn's biography. It was his biographical musical. So that protection idea is, I think, right on the money. All of us felt a deep sense that this was Bill Finn's story and that we had to tell it in the most direct, straightforward way as possible. The music does the work. We just have to send it out into the universe, in which case an audience. And what I always... I'm stealing this from Lily Tomlin, but share the goosebump experience. And that's, yeah, that's what she says, that we all are collectively in an audience and that we share that experience. And that I think is most actors, musical theater people, whoever, that is the goal to encompass the audience and they give and take, they give and take. I'm actually, whenever I take a bow, for instance, again, I steal from Lily Tomlin because when she did her one woman show, which I saw numerous times, I've never seen one better. She would grab the audience and kind of hold them in, in her heart. And that was life changing for me when I saw her do that. And that would have been in the eighties. And so I think that, that our care with a new brain was very important to the entire cast for sure. Mm, I love that. I'd love to talk, Barbara, about your performance as Goldie in Fiddler on the Roof with Brent Carver again, my goodness, at the Stratford Festival. And Richard adored you in that role as well. I was there and I adored you in that role. And I wanted to ask you about what it was like working with the late Brent Carver. I know we've mentioned Mm -hmm. him already, but particularly in that production. Well, it's funny. Someone was asking me about it today, in fact. So when Brent was originally cast, a tall thin, blonde, waspish young man, there was a lot of question about, well, you know, we're thinking Tevia needs to be roly-poly, needs to have some ethnicity, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Brent is Brent. There's no one like him. There was no one who was like him. So when I was cast, the two of us, everyone said, oh, they're too young. They're not quite right. Uh, My background is definitely ethnic. No worries about that. But what are these two? We were quite young at the time, considering the roles. We usually have another image in our brain. But honestly, there was something about Brent. And I'm just going to quote John Wood, who was a director that I liked very much and who I had done when I was a much younger gypsy for out, out east. And we were talking about Brent and he said, you know, what's fascinating about Brent Carver is that when we watch him on stage, he looks like he has a secret and we all want to know what that is. <gasps> oh. And honestly, when you would look in his eyes, yes. uh, the one thing about our relationship, when people would say, oh, yeah, you know, I think you two were successful. Why did you think you were successful in those parts? And I would always say, because we looked like we had five daughters, that we slept together, <laughs> that we loved each other, that yes. we made love to each other. And I think that brought a little other element to the production other than do you love me? Do I want? <laughs> he had a magic. And we, of course, can't talk enough about him or miss him more than we do. I remember his eyes. That's what I remember, those yeah. eyes. Mm-hmm. That You're right. You just wanted That's to right. know what was going on there. And uh, 
What a beautiful artist. Well, you guys were amazing. And I'm going to say this, of course, that you played one of the most sought after roles in musical theater when you played Mama Rose and Gypsy. And I'm talking now about your performance in the Arts Club Theater Company production in Vancouver back in 2007. And when I heard that you were playing Mama Rose, I remember at the time in Gypsy, I sort of thought of Etta James' song at last because I knew you were born to play that role. And in the, the review that Richard Azunian wrote, he said, in Toronto's Barbara Barsky is more than just right. She's damn near perfect. As a stage mother to end all stage mothers who spent her life trying to turn her two daughters into stars, Barsky has nailed every aspect of this complex character. Brassy, sassy, <laughs> tender, touching, funny, and frightening. Mm -hmm. Each time she sashays onto the stage in another one of Alison Green's delicious costumes, we <laughs> meet a new side of a unique creation. And when I spoke to Richard yesterday, before this interview, on the phone, he added that the thing he loves best about that performance is that Gypsy was a life-size performance. And you felt for her, for her lifetime of frustration and her disappointment. Mm -hmm. And finally, she's lost everyone. She's alone on the stage, finally. And above everything, it had restraint. And there's that word again. Richard said that aside from your immense talent and brilliance as a musical theater actor, your restraint is your greatest quality. Can you speak to what it was like to play that quintessential role of Mama Rose and what was involved in the preparation for that role? Right. Well, so I'm going to take you back to 1977 when I played Louise in Gypsy. <sighs> oh, my God. So I played Louise in Gypsy for John Wood at the Neptune Theater. And it was a spectacular production. The strippers were amazing. Our Mama Rose was Rita Howell. She was fantastic. And I played, you know, the young Louise role who emerges literally to the day and the month. 30 years later, 2007, I was playing Mama Rose. Oh so that was just, you know... I've been very lucky. I've played a lot of archetypal music theater characters, which you mentioned earlier. I was in Vancouver at the time. The arts club was auditioning and I, I thought it's now or never. I have, of course, those of us who are the sort of bold, brassy, big voiced singers in music theater, it's the part you dream of. So I was able to do, again, that enormous arc from Louise in 1977 wow to her mother in 2007. And wow. it was a thrill. In fact, there are only two, well, there are many, but the two most beautiful orchestrations, when they start, one of them is West Side Story. I can't keep it together. The other is Gypsy. When you hear ba, 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 da, I'm done. So I would have to not be in the, I would stand out in the hallway while the while it was going on because literally I would not make it through. I had a fantastic Herbie, very serious Shakespearean actor. And I was like, okay. He brought a lot of gravitas to Herbie as well. So credit where it's due. Our scenes together were very visceral, a lot of heartbreak. In fact, at one point I found myself overwhelmed and kind of weepy. And the director said, uh-uh, no, don't go there. Don't go to that place. You got to hold that in. And when he leaves you, which is when I started to get verklempt, uh, when he leaves you, you have to, we have to see that brain saying, okay, 
he's gone. What next? I have always taken care of business and I'm going to continue to take care of business. And I had a mom who was not unlike that. She was, um, uh, she divorced my father when I was about 17 or so. And she carried the torch. She found a way to keep our family together, send us through school, etc. So I have to give a nod to that as well. That just that iron quality. I grew up with that. So yeah. Can I ask you if you inherited that? So was that something you were able to bring the character because it was actually within you? Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, My husband has a, has a funny saying that uh, we always play good cop, bad cop. He's inevitably good cop because he's such a wonderful man and we love (laughs) him. And people call him the nicest man in show business. I'm very often the bad cop. And he will often say, excuse me, you don't want to deal with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you want things to be just right because you work very, very hard. And I, I know that about you and I love that about you. I also remember another massive role that you played. Again, one of the most iconic roles in musical theater for women, Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. And I remember seeing that as well when you were magnificent in that role. What was that like for you playing Norma Desmond? Okay, well, I'm not sure if you remember, but you did an interview with me. We sat in my dressing room it, before yes. it was actually my dressing room. We were sort of squished in a corner and you were kind enough to come and do an interview. Okay, yeah. so I was the standby for Norma Desmond. So I stood by for Diane Carroll, who, God bless her, was determined to do every single performance. Oh. <laughs> so I would go to the theater every single day oh. at about an hour before. Uh, then I would go 45 minutes before, then I would go and get my coffee and my newspaper (laughs) at half hour, which is when actors are always called at half hour, newspaper under my arm, coffee in my hand, six months into the run. I haven't been on the stage in about four months. Haven't done a rehearsal, nothing. I walk to the stage door and I open it and I've got my coffee in my newspaper And the entire backstage hallway (laughs) is lined with all the actors. And I'm like, what, 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 what? And the, my dresser grabs my hand and said, you're on. So. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty scary. It was very scary, but you know, interestingly enough for anyone who's done a, a big musical, you're very much made to do it exactly as it was done before. And that's for all the actors' benefits. So you're not, your blocking isn't changing so that they get confused or anything like that. But the first time I did that show, coming down that long staircase and you hear, and she makes her entrance. (laughs) That performance was my own performance because I hadn't had much rehearsal at that point. And all I could think of was get from A to B, B to C, C to D, get to the end of that show. And that in many ways was the most thrilling performance I did of that particular show because it was all mine. They all knew that notes wasn't going to help me. Nothing was going to help me. I mean, you just haul that sucker on your back and go right to the end. And uh, it was thrilling. And Diane was so great to me. She was a really wonderful woman and did a beautiful job of that part. So we've talked a lot about the theater and there's so much more we could talk for hours because the parts that you have played, the shows you've been in, that you really lifted. 
Thank you. Through all of this, you've had a beautiful partnership and a longtime marriage to, as you say, the nicest guy in show business, who I remember as well, very well from, from Closer Than Ever, Merrick Norman. How would you describe what it's like as a singer and a musical theater actress to be married and at the same time in constant creation with your life partner? What is it hmm. like? Well, Mary and I started as equals. He mm -hmm. was an actor-singer, and we met doing a, a CBC television show called K-Pack based on the music of Canadian composers, of which he was not one at the moment. He was a composer, but he wasn't part of this particular show, but he'd been hired as, an, as a singer. Brent Carver was also in that, and wow. Jeff Kislev, etc. And it was called the K-Pack special when, when CBC used to do big variety shows. And we met, and mm -hmm. we were just partners on a stage. We sang together. We did some stuff from hair together. Good morning, starshine, etc. And then we started to work together more and more. He had television shows that he did out of um, Edmonton and invited me to guest on one of his television shows. Then wow. we did a tour of a show that Richard had written with someone else, not Merrick, based on Olympics and it was called the Olympiad. Olympiad. Yes. yes, that's right. <laughs> 1976. Yep. Oh my gosh, I think that's. And um, so we did that again. I had a very serious tune. I'm not sure why I got the serious tunes, but anyway, <laughs> he played Mark Spitz and looked just fabulous in little shorts. <laughs> anyway, so um, but then Merrick sort of strayed from that part of his work. He did actually just before the pandemic, he did mm -hmm. do a Christmas carol at the Blythe Festival. So he sort of got back into it. But generally speaking, he does focus on composing and we have some rules when we work together. And we've set down ground rules when we are in the same room mm -hmm. uh, and he's in charge. He's in charge. I can question him, but not in a way that is threatening. <laughs> right. If I have some right. issues, I take them home and we discuss them there. Yes. So over the years, our balance has sort of changed with him either as a writer or the musical director. Oh. Um, he is very much in charge, but we are really in sync with uh, our approach to material. So he's just a, a fantastic talented person. My sister has a little joke. She says, he's the talented one and you're the smart one. Talk about a backhanded compliment. Oh, no. I'm not sure what, I don't know what that means exactly. But <laughs> so it we, works. We, it works. That's, yeah, that's the it best works part. for us. And you, I don't know if you remember, but our wedding story was in your wedding book. Do you, you are terrific. Do you know that I forgot that? Because I haven't looked at that book in so long. Because yes. that was another life and another yes, husband. Yes, another life. I, 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 <laughs> but wow, yes. I have to reread that and bring that out. That's a mm -hmm. great memory. That's amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, you just touched on something that I wanted to mention, Barbara, that a lot of people don't know as well about you, which is that Richard also mentioned that a lot of people don't realize that you were a huge cabaret star in the 70s and 80s. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about that period of time, as it doesn't seem to be as big a thing anymore, but this was huge stuff. This was one of yeah. the biggest parts of entertainment in this country, and you were at the yeah. helm of all of this. Before we hear all about Barbara as a cabaret star, we're going to go on a short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. 
Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And just before the break, I was asking you, Barbara, about how you were at the helm of cabaret in the 70s and 80s. Well, you know, Merrick and I talk about this all the time, that we really, really miss it. I guess the closest thing to a cabaret show that we did in the 90s would have been closer than ever, but, you yes. know, the way it was put together. Yes. But we did What's a Nice Country, doing in a place like this. We did Tonight at 8.30, 9 o'clock in Newfoundland. We did Games at the Teller's Cage. That oh. was a real source of employment for a lot of actors. And I would, if I needed a job, God bless her, I'd get on the phone to Marlene Smith, who was one of the producers at the time. And I'd say, so Marlene, what have you got going on? And she said, well, I've got a show going into the teller's cage. You might want to do that. (laughs) Moon and June and Honeymoon was another one that I did, which was all original Canadian music. And, and, you know, we talk about it a lot. In fact, Someone uh, showed me a picture just this very afternoon of when Mary and I did our cabaret act on Captain John's. Do you remember the (gasps) boat that was down at the bottom of Front Street or wherever, or Queen's Key or whatever? Oh, my Lord. And we did a cabaret act there, and we really miss it. We've actually been sort of talking about doing an evening of Merrick's music, or I'm encouraging (sighs) him to do that, because I think it's about time. I mean, he's written so much music over the years, so many beautiful songs. So we've been sort of starting to think maybe that's something we should be putting together. (sighs) I've I feel badly for young actors who didn't get to really stretch their legs in that format. Audience close up for actors. You know, it it was really, it was really a great time. Oh, I I just, I I, I miss it. And I think that's a great idea. And I think that a lot of people will get behind that, myself included. And we talked about Second City. Just briefly, what was it like working with Catherine O'Hara and Martin Short? Well, (laughs) to be honest, I was out of my depth. I'm not going to lie. So that was was a situation where we would, I guess, after the shows and their improv sessions, we would all go and work out at um, the fire hall and we do some scene work and, and, you know, work on improvisation, et cetera. And Marty and I had worked a few times together in the past on this KPAC special that I talked about earlier. And one day I get a phone call and sadly the person who needed to be replaced was unwell. Also, like me, not considered sort of a comedian per se, not someone who pulled characters out of a hat the way Catherine and, and Marty did. And so they called me in because I guess they were aware of me through cabaret work and through the fact that I did these improv sessions with them. And I had to go in and replace her and she had replaced Andrea Martin. So there I was going into Second City in the middle of a show that already existed. And I had to do Andrea Martin lines like, oh, I just flew in from Mississauga and boy, are my arms tired. You know, it was like, 
<laughs> I was doing Andrea Martin's shtick. So it didn't really fit me that well. So, um, so I lasted in that. I think that show was called The Wizard of Ossington. Oh. And um, yeah, Wizard of Oz. They always had cutesy names, don't you know? So um. I lasted to the end of that particular show for quite a number of months, learned a lot about improvisation. The one thing I will tell you a story about, that was the show, that in The Wizard of Ossington, Marty first, not so much discovered, but first put out into the universe, Ed Grimley. We all know Ed Grimley, that wow. crazy character that he has, which would be not very PC in these days. Right, true. And we, and we yeah. used to do a scene together where we're both being interviewed for a job. And I would say my name and I was very prim and I had a list of university credits, et cetera, et cetera. And he was Ed Grimley. His character was so overwhelming that one day when we were doing the scene, when they asked me my name, I said, I'm Ed Grimley. Ugh, I mean, no, I'm not Ed Grimley. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but Marty, my God. <laughs> he actually uh, spoke about it the other day in an interview, and I thought, thank you, Marty. You remember that. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Catherine God. O'Hara, I have to say, without question, I don't think anyone would disagree, is probably the finest actress comedian, certainly in the past 10 or 20 years, yeah. just yeah. can do anything. Oh. We had a great, we had a great couple of scenes together where we called trucker, where I would feed her an egg salad sandwich while she was smoking. And the shtick was, is that the, the, the cigarette would go into the egg salad and I'd pull it out and she'd pretend she'd swallowed the cigarette. So trucker, trucker. Yeah. She was really, it was, that was a masterclass for sure. And I've taken that with me through the years. Just Catherine, again, just not big characters, just special, unique. She just has a great ability. Oh, no absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe you'll do something with her again. That would be really cool. Maybe. That would be good. <laughs> oh, I love that. Can you tell us just briefly about the show that you're currently in at the Fringe Festival? Everybody go and see this with music right. composed by Merrick Norman, lyrics by Jim Betts. It's called right. Dancer. What is it all about? Okay. So Dancer, I'm going to be very quick. Dancer was originally put together in 2011. So here we are, all these years later, it's Dancer, a musical in 10 furlongs. Merrick has always admired Jim Betts. And Jim came to him one day and said, I've got this great idea about the horse Northern Dancer. It should be a musical. He was the greatest Canadian athlete of his time and still is considered such as such. And all the horses will be dancers and we'll find a fabulous choreographer director, which we did, Stacey Tukey from So You Think He Can Dance Canada and America. The dancers are spectacular. So it's basically Winnie Taylor and E.P. Taylor, the story of Northern Dancer and how he won the Kentucky Derby. He was a tiny little runty horse with a bad temperament and somehow he won the Kentucky Derby and all the horses, as they say, are played by dancers and it's oh. going to be at the Fringe Festival. And here we are all these years later. Jim, in fact, put it up for an award at the Fringe Festival called the Adams Music Theater Award. And um, oh, it won. Goodness. So they have to do it. Oh, <laughs> so that's how it came about. Yeah, it's it's an award an award winner, and so we're going to do it from July fifth to July sixteenth at the Fringe Festival. And if you don't care about actors and you 
want to come and just see the most remarkable dancers you can ever imagine. We did our first run through today. Those dancers are spectacular, breathtakingly spectacular. And as I grew up as a dancer, trust me, I know when I see the goods and these kids have got it. They're all Canadian and they're all amazing. Stacy is also Canadian, but but lives in uh, New Jersey. Oh my gosh, you guys, you guys are so incredible. I'm just, <laughs> I know we have to wrap. So I've got two little things. And one of them is I asked Richard and I quote, if you were listening to an interview with Barbara, what would you want to know from her? And so this question, Barbara is coming directly from Richard Azudian himself. <laughs> okay. And here it is. What do you still want to achieve in the theater? Hmm. That's very interesting. I honestly, I don't think about that at so much. I think I want to continue working to do roles that are appropriate for who I am, to encourage younger actors. I did do my stint at Sheridan teaching young actors. In fact, one of them is in Dancer, a musical in 10 furlongs with me. So I get to to work with some of the kids I taught. I think that, that I would like to see more Canadian musicals done, and I would like to be part of them. I love that. I, I love that. Yeah. He, my daughter went to Sheridan. She's at NYU now yes. doing a master's. And yes. hopefully, I know we've talked about this, that one day maybe you'll do Gypsy together. That she would be, <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be unbelievable. <laughs> what is bliss for Barbara Barsky? Honestly, Mary and I just came back from a trip to Italy. It had been a long pandemic, as everyone knows. We had planned many years ago, on our 40th wedding anniversary that we would go to Italy. That didn't happen because of the pandemic. But a year ago, we said, we don't care. We don't care about work. We're just going. And someone asked us, what did we love most about that particular trip? And I had to say, honestly, that I felt that Mary and I, we are in close proximity all the time. We get along really, really well. We don't have a lot of upset in our lives. But I really felt that that trip, that long planned Mm -hmm. trip that we had Mm -hmm. wanted to celebrate for our 40th anniversary, there we were, lo these many years later, and we really reconnected. We really just listened to each other. We enjoyed each other's company. There was no outside influences. There were no phone calls. There was just eating and laughing and, you know, looking (laughs) around at beautiful art, the David, you know, I even went to La Fenice with just the opera house where Maria Callas used to sing. And I, having played Maria Callas, I just absorbed a little of that. So I would say that was about as blissful as I can think of it. Wow. (laughs) And you can, and the best part is you can remember it and, and look at those pictures and those memories and, and that can last a lot longer than the actual, which is what I often think about when a show is over with you. That yes. fleeting images will remain long after the show is over. And that's what sort of keeps you going are those yeah. wonderful images. And I have many of them of you. What is the best way, Barbara, for people to contact you, to follow you on social media and to see all of the great things that you're doing? Well, I have things on YouTube like Ballycroy, which is a 90-minute performance of Ballycroy production. I'm on Insta at Barbara Bars at Barsky Barbara, and I'm on Facebook. Yay. <laughs> so that's the way to follow me. <laughs> to close out the show today, our illustrious guest, musical theater star Barbara Barsky, is going to sing us out of the show with her incredible rendition of Broadway Baby. 
Let's all have a listen. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Barbara, that was so beautiful. Thank you. In Bliss News, Barbara Barsky is performing in Dancer at the Fringe Festival. For more information on how you can get tickets, just go to Dancer the Musical on Instagram or go to fringetoronto.com. As well, there are lots of great Fringe shows happening until July 16th. One of them is The Man with the Golden Heart, a new musical, taking place at the Jean Lamont Hall, located at 427 Bloor Street West, with a fantastic cast. For tickets, please visit the event website at mghmusical.com. And also check out A Jew in a Gentile World, starring one of Canada's finest stand-up comedians, Steve Brinder. For tickets, just go to fringetoronto.com. I would like to thank our tremendously talented and illustrious guest, Barbara Barsky, for being on the show today. Also, thank you to theater critic, esteemed director, actor, and lyricist Richard Azunian for his excellent help with the research and insight into the program today. As well, a special thank you to Yanush from the Toronto Metro Reference Library for all of his help in researching the life and career of Barbara Barsky. And of course, a big thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Olivia Weatherall, Nayira Amani, audio engineer Juliana Yanutiello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer Baz Kazi, and of course, everyone here at Zoomer. And a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.